Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. We're going to dive into the Word here this morning, but I want to start by asking you a question. Do you remember your first real job? Remember that first real job you took? Uh, turn to somebody around you and tell them what your first real job was And uh, as, you, as you dive into that. If it's your spouse, turn to somebody else because they already know, right? All right. That's always an interesting question. Tell them how many years ago it was. All right? Do some calculations. How many years ago was that? All right. Bring it back up here for a minute. I can remember my first real job after my first full-time job. After I graduated from high school, I knew I needed to save a lot of money. I'd been working part-time in a couple of different jobs up until then. I'd been saving some money, but I needed a full-time job. So I went out on a job search, and I found a landscaping company, because landscaping paid well, that would allow me to work full-time, give me overtime even in that. And I took the job, because I was so excited to get the job. They gave me a t-shirt even that I could wear, and I was proud to have the shirt on. And then the first day I showed up to work and I realized with the title, landscape whatever I was, low man on the totem pole, came the work that, came, that went along with that. There was a cost to the job, which was the investment I was going to put in in hours. Very first day on the job, my boss drove me out. I'm sure he thought I was going to be a washout. He drove me out to an apartment complex, dropped me off with a pickaxe and a small shovel, and he said, I want you to dig a, ch- a, a, a um, channel in this parking lot from here to that island. I'll be back at five to pick you up. I was fresh out of high school, baby hands. He threw me a, a pair of gloves and said, go for it. I jumped out. I had some water with me, thankfully. I had a lunch with me, thankfully, and I went to work. It was the realization that it wasn't just about having the t-shirt and saying, I work for this company, but it was going to cost me something. It was going to require something of me doing. As we get into the word today, we're back in our series with uh, Peter and looking at the life of Peter We're going to see how Peter loved this title that had been been given to him. But within that, the title also came with a purpose. It came with a purpose in his life. You remember the text we looked at just two weeks ago, John chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen here. Verse 42 uh, said this, when Jesus gave Peter a title, and he, he looked, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, you are Simon, that's his old name, son of John, that was his father, You will be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about that. Peter had no idea what Jesus was saying to him when he declared him rock, a strange nickname for him to gain right there. But there was so much meaning packed into that. And it took then the next years for Peter to begin to understand what God wanted to do in him in the midst of that. 
But God is notorious for giving his people new names, including us as followers of Jesus. In 1 John, there's another verse we looked at that same day that talked about our new title as followers of Jesus. 1 John 3 verse 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When I look at you, I have this perspective and this view of being able to say, here are people who are following Jesus, who've given their life to Jesus. That makes you a child of God. That's a title declared over you and about who you are. But it takes a lifetime to discover all that's packed into that. And so in your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11? And this story comes after what we looked at last week. Many have called this the second calling of Peter. It's the the second step in Peter's life. It's a parallel story to some of the recordings in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark 1. But Luke gives so much more detail in the midst of this, much fuller understanding of it. Now months have passed since the first calling where along the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Jesus were first introduced and Jesus lands this whopper on him saying, you are going to be called Peter. Months have now passed. Miracles have occurred. And it seems, according to the Gospel of Mark, that the disciples that had been called in that first calling had been with Jesus through some different ministry, but they were continuing on and gone back to their work of fishing. Those disciples that were fishermen had gone back to their old trade. Here, Jesus is going to call them into full-time discipleship with him. And so what we'll discover today is that God gave Simon Peter a new identity, but he called him also with that new identity into a purpose. There's action associated with it. And so this is the next step. The core of what happens in this story in Luke really happens towards the end. But let's jump in and let's see what's going on along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So you're in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, or on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or another word for the Sea of Galilee. So they're standing in that same place. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them, and they were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. Now, here's what's going on. You just read it. But Jesus is teaching the people along the Sea of Galilee. The the area would have provided kind of a natural amphitheater, so Jesus' voice would have projected. The people are crowding in on him to the point where Jesus is beginning to back up. He's probably down to the water's edge now because they're just wanting to hear, and there's many people gathering And he realizes either I'm going to keep walking out into the water or I get in a boat and I could maybe preach from the boat and that'll stop him at the shore. It's a practical thing. And so Luke draws our attention over to these two boats that are nearby. These two boats are within earshot of where the disciples are working, where the disciples are, and they're washing up their nets and cleaning them. Now this is important. Because the equipment had to be taken care of. The boats, the nets had to be taken care of so that they would be ready for the next time. If the nets were not washed and cleaned out, then the nets would basically dry out and rot. They would break the next time they took them out. So it was important. It was a tedious, meticulous task. After each time of fishing at night, they'd come back in and they would clean their nets and prepare them for the next time that they went out. Now, 
pay attention to that because later they abandoned those same nets right there that they're taking meticulous care of that day. So, no doubt, Jesus asked Peter if he can get into his boat. We see that. And Jesus gets in, and he tells Peter to push out a little ways, and he sits down. Why does he sit down? Well, preachers didn't stand so much back then. People taught from sitting down. Might be a good idea. I should get a stool. You might like that. I wouldn't walk around so much, but I could sit down like Jesus, right? So Jesus is sitting down because it was a normal way to preach. And so he's preaching to the people, and the disciples are hearing this. Look again at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Stop for a second. Peter comes about as close to saying no to Jesus as you can say it without actually saying it, right? He comes right up to the edge. It's a, it may be that Peter's implying... We're professional fishermen. We know when it's best to fish and where to fish. You're a carpenter. What are you doing telling us to go out? What do you know? Besides, all the fishermen in the Sea of Galilee knew that it was best to fish at night and close to the shore, not out in the deep, not out in daytime. How often do we protest obedience to God? Do you ever know something that God's asking you to do? You see the command You know he's calling you to take a step. And it seems kind of illogical to obey in that moment. Notice that Simon says this, but he doesn't necessarily agree, but he can obey. Because look at the very next words. What does he say? At your word, what? I say it. I will. At your word, I will. I will let out, let down the nets. In other words, because you said it, Master, I will. And I love that. But obedience isn't easy. It's the willful response of the disciple. Obedience brought results for Peter. We struggle with obedience. I struggle with it. And I know you struggle with it too. If Peter had never obeyed, he would have never participated that day in the miracle that was just about to happen. And so often we're content to hear the commands of Jesus, aren't we? We'll memorize them. We'll even know them by heart. We could repeat them. We might be able to say the Ten Commandments. But do we actually do them? Is there an area of your life that God has already called you to obedience in? And you're right up on the border of it. You're saying, God, this seems illogical. You're protesting. It seems absurd. Will you obey? Don't miss the blessing of obedience, of what God might produce or do in your life because of steps of faith. And you see, all of this for Peter, this very moment where God brought him right up to the edge of that, where Peter's about to go, no, no way am I going to put the nets out. That is a moment of discipleship for Peter. He's being shaped by Christ to be conformed to his image. I want to show a tool to you that we use around here when we talk about discipleship at River of Life. This is a tool adapted from different people, and uh, we call it the discipleship wheel. You may recognize this in thinking about this, but it's the growth of a disciple, how we grow, how we move forward. It 
puts it in a little more of a linear process than is actually true. But it's the idea that we move in life from, you see the different colors, the four quadrants, and we'll just start with four, looking at infant in the upper right-hand corner to childlike stage, to a young adult stage, to a parent stage. And there's a growth in the life of a believer. And you see the very first place is dead. Before you're alive, you're dead spiritually. We have to encounter Christ and come across Christ. We need the gospel to be brought to us, and we need to respond to the gospel to put our belief and our trust in Jesus Christ. But life begins in that moment. There's a community all around us that is still in that phase. We are the hands and the feet called to be disciples who make disciples and to be people who, who move and help people move in that process, joining God in that process. The infant needs life shared with them, sharing our life along uh, with them. And maybe you have experienced this in your own life, and you could go, yes, this is where I'm at. I need that basic discipleship. Help me to see God root out the, the basic things, establish new patterns, establish new ways of being with God, share, learning truth, beginning to bond in the body of Christ. And there's a movement towards that child phase where we really connect We connect to the body of Christ. We connect to Christ himself, and we begin to abide with him. So we might associate the word restore with that first infant stage. We talk about that as one of the values in our church, restore with that first infant stage, but really abiding in that second stage. It's where I connect to God, connect to his family, and connect to God's purpose. But there's a massive heart shift between the two quadrants on this side and the other side. This side at the top, you see it says self-focused. The other side says others-focused, where God does something in our heart. From the very beginning of walking with Jesus, he is after this. But there's a place of surrender in our lives where we begin to go, God, your purposes matter, and your purposes are about other people, not just about me. There's a move from self to this Christ-centered life, which is about others, investment in others. Sometimes we can find ourselves in multiple quadrants. I might say I'm in the young adult and the infant stage all at the same time. But God is pushing us towards this, and he's doing that with Peter. You see that? He's already in this story. He's going to call Peter into this area. This young adult stage we talk about is the time where I become involved in ministry. I might be serving somewhere in ministry for the Lord. I'm I'm following him in that becoming uh, sanctified. God's doing a deep work, the the deep rooting out of things in us, pride and the deep idols, and becoming spiritually confident. That's a place of real growth and development and foundational building. It's a place where we might participate in those things and maybe even move to a place where we're serving and directing a ministry and helping others in that area where we're leading ministry. But by doing that, we're actually leading others who are coming into that phase. As you look at the parent stage, it's interesting because it's almost as if the focus narrows, and that's an area of really pouring into fewer at a deep level, discipleship and leading and shepherding, uh, pursuing people, being someone who's a disciple who's making disciples on a very intentional level. And that's a process that we often find ourselves in. I wonder if you look at that, could you identify where you are spiritually, where you are as a disciple in that? But as you think about Peter, where is he in this moment? 
When Peter's standing along the Sea of Galilee, where is he in this moment if we were to think of it through the grid that we use around here? Somebody call out and answer. What do you think? Child? Yep. Okay. Where else? He's had some experience with the Lord, right? And he's beginning to connect. God's calling him into a deeper place. So that's probably why you're answering that. Okay. What Peter doesn't know is there's still some infant things ahead of him too. Somewhere maybe in the child-infant stage. But what is God already going to be pointing towards? We're going to see in a minute, he's already pointing towards that heart change of, Peter, your life is not about you. It's about others. It's about what I care about, the mission that I care about. So let's go back to the text here. So far, Jesus has told them to cast their nets. Verse 6 tells us that they do just that. It says, and when they had done this, they had, when they let their nets down, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Their nets were literally breaking from the weight of it. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they began, and, or they came and they filled their boats. And so they began to sink. They were so heavy with fish that they began to sink. It's amazing what was happening here. They have the haul of a lifetime. Remember, these guys have been fishing on, on the sea for a long time and they'd never caught fish like this. I used to fish when I was a youth pastor in the very first place. We lived in Bozeman, Montana, and the Gallatin River, blue, blue ribbon stream, came out from, the, from Yellowstone Park right up through the area where we lived. Once a week, I met up my brother-in-law early in the morning, and we would go fishing. And there were mornings where every cast, boom, you had a, a trout on the line. And it was so much fun. We'd catch 20, 30 fish in one morning just like that. Here these guys throw their nets in. And, and I mean, how would you react your jaw would probably drop, right? You've never seen anything like this. And maybe dollar signs flash in front of you, your face. Would you be pumped at this moment where it's like you won the lottery that day because all you got? What would you see? Would you see physical or would you see spiritual what's going on? Look at Peter's reaction. Look at verse 8. Peter's in this moment and it says, And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter's reaction is one of awe. It's one of awe. Notice the word, depending on your translation. Uh, the ESV that I just read, he's astonished. Other translations say he is awestruck. Over and over in Peter's life, this concept comes up. When he sees God do something amazing, it talks about Peter was awestruck. He was astonished. Think of the word awesome. He just thought, that is awesome. You are incredible, God. I worship you. I praise you for that. Peter, in this moment, begins to see himself accurately as he should see himself. He doesn't know it now, but here, humility is beginning to come over his pride. And here he gets it. A sinner in the presence of perfection, seeing God, and he falls down at Jesus' feet and he confesses his sin. And a change is about to happen in him. Instead of calling Jesus master as he did just a minute ago, he calls him Lord. That's a significant shift in Peter's language right here. And he's in the realization that he's in front of of one, not inferior, just as a fisherman, and here's Jesus, but I'm a sinner, 
and I sit in the presence of perfection. The miracle helped him see who God was, who Jesus is. Peter is the first of the disciples to confess his sinfulness to Jesus. And Peter is afraid in that moment too. That might be too mild. Peter's undone in this moment because he's seen this miracle. And that's a normal reaction of humans. When we're in the presence of God, when we really get a glimpse of his glory, of his goodness, of his majesty, we become undone. Think of Isaiah. Think of Job and Abram. We too, at times, have the appropriate response of being undone in the presence of God. I'm a sinful person. You realize that first step in the disciples' journey is a place of confession. A place of saying, I am in need of a Savior because I am a sinner. And that doesn't leave us. We, for them, from then on, we realize I am a sinner saved by grace. But we can only be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Some people come all the way to the point of saying, I'm a sinner. But never actually place their trust and their belief in Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation. His death and his resurrection are the only means towards which we may be saved by putting our trust and our belief upon him. Guess what? You can do that today. You could do that today. Place your trust in Jesus Christ right where you are. Believe upon him and begin that discipleship journey of following him. If you were to do that and tune out the rest of the message, that would be fine with me if you're being serious about following with Jesus. You'll notice as it keeps moving, Peter's request was, depart from me. And that, a lot of times, is our feeling when, when, we're, when we realize our own sin. Just get away from me. I want to run and hide. Turn our face away from God. Anything than to be face-to-face with him. But Jesus doesn't show him justice in that moment. He shows him grace and love. Look at what the second half of verse 10 says, Jesus' response when he, he addressed Simon, Jesus said, do not be afraid. Isn't that often what we need to hear? Over and over again in scripture, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Remember when we were in Joshua just a year ago, how often that phrase came up? Do not be afraid. Stand upon who I am. Trust in me in the midst of it. Fear and faith are so intricately connected Fear is overcome by faith that is filled with trust in God. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, often to Peter. So many times in Peter's life, he's going to hear these words, don't be afraid. When he calms the storm, he says it. When Peter walks, when Jesus walks on water, uh, he says it. When Jesus is transfigured into a blazing light, he says it. When Jesus is raised from the dead, he tells Peter that again. And what Jesus is about to say to him will require having no fear. What's about to occur in his life, have no fear, Peter. And it's the grace of God right in that moment where this absolute trust in God, where Peter moves from his identity being in in what he's doing and all these things to now his identity being in God, being called one who is is a follower of Jesus. His identity is going to lead to a new purpose. You see, being who I am, being will always lead to doing. 
but being always comes before doing. I said it backwards from what's on the screen, but read it on the screen. Being comes before doing, but being always leads to doing. You see, I may be called a child of God. I may have the t-shirt, but God calls me to do it, to be. What does it look like to, to take on his purposes to become his child? Well, Peter's going to find that right in this moment, there's going to be a cost to following Jesus. So look at further in verse 10. He's told him, do not be afraid. From now on, Peter, you will be catching men. A new purpose that moves his identity. He receives his marching orders here. God gives his people new purpose. We move from self-ruled to Christ-ruled. Some people are taught that when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, that God's going to fulfill all of our wishes and our plans for our lives. Wouldn't that be, it'd actually be a disaster. It'd be a disaster if God gave us all that. But right here we see that that's not true. That there's, there's, there's an illusion is that if I get all that the world has to offer, I'll really be living. God is about to call Peter into some deep waters that's going to cost him drastically. I can remember this just on a small practical level. Uh, shortly after I graduated from college and had my first youth ministry job in Belgrade, Montana, and we moved into an apartment complex, and the people who lived below us, we got to know them, and here's what they had that I wanted, a Jeep and a truck. And I would look at their cars and envy what they had, and I had thought if I had that, then I would be happy. Then I would have what I need, or not maybe not what I need, but I would have what would fulfill me. I envied for their vehicles day after day. But Jesus confronted me on that. I think of the words that Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Jesus connected our obedience to Christ to our hearts and, and affections. Again, in John 14, he said it a different way, but he said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my, my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. In other words, he's looking for us, not just to wear the t-shirt as children of God, but he's saying it's gonna require something of you on steps of obedience, living for his glory, taking on the things that matter to him, and that's going to require a change of heart on my part. It's going to bring me into a confrontation with self. It's far more than a mental acceptance of Jesus. Instead, he's the boss. He's the leader. And there's something required of following him. See, the journey to Jesus is not easy. But we are given promises along the way. God is never going to leave us or abandon us. He will always be with us, right? When we follow Jesus, the passions and desires that used to drive us, things like this, love of possessions, fame, and power, and prestige, they become unimportant. At least they're supposed to become unimportant. For Peter, here he has a new job. His newfound identity leads to, to obedience, which pushes him into a sea of humanity, and he's going to catch men now instead of fish. In other words, he's no longer going to catch for death. He's going to catch for zoe, life. 
the life of Christ. And Peter's going to be engaged in that. That's his calling. Peter, you are the rock. But with that is going to come this calling, this direction. So what about you? What is your job or your purpose? That's exciting. What is God going to give you personally? Are you ready for it? I can tell you. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. God calls you to be a fisher of men. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, including Mesa County. Go and make disciples. As you're going about life, make disciples of all nations, everywhere that you are. What a good text for us to be considering on this day, in this day and age that we're living. Are we all called to be a part of this great fishing harvest? We are. But are all of you evangelists? Raise your hand if you think you might be an evangelist. We thank the Lord for, for you. There's very few hands going up. But at the same time, we're called to be evangelists. So why would God give us a commission like this? And not only some would say they're evangelists. I think the difference is the evangelists are saying, I think I have the gift of evangelism. Others would say, I participate in the same thing, even if I don't have the gift, because that is the purpose that Christ came for. We all participate. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing our spiritual gifts class at the beginning of April, April 2nd and 3rd. And this is a great chance for you to figure out your part. How do I point? Maybe I'm a person who has the gift of encouragement. How does that play into this, what I see on the screen? How do I participate in this being a fisher of men, knowing where I fit? And so my call to us today is to raise up church, to be on mission, to be a people who are, who are saved for kingdom purposes. We aren't saved to simply be able to come to church on Sundays. That's not the purpose. We're not saved in order to be nice to each other. We're not saved simply in order to to cram lots of biblical facts into our heads, not even to give money to the church so that the pastors could carry out that mission. If every disciple everywhere joined God in his mission, imagine what would happen. Imagine the explosion of, of God's work as we join God in what he's doing in people's lives. So, when you get a job and you're excited, you're going to ask, well, when, where is it? Where do I, when do I start? How do I get there? We're going to ask questions like that. Simon Peter, they were asking the same question along with the disciples. They didn't know the destination. Verse 11 says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So check this out. It blows me away. The treasure of Christ was so great. They rode in and they landed their boats and they walked off into an uncertain future. They left the greatest catch of their entire lives behind in the boat to rot, to spoil. And they followed him into an uncertain future because that stuff doesn't matter to them anymore. Peter obeys and he follows with those disciples. It's a turning point for Peter here. From now on, things are going to be different for Peter. I wonder if from now on, from today on in your life, things might be different for you. Peter's no longer going to catch fish. He's going to be catching men in a continuous sense. He'll catch for life. And he left everything. Peter 
did this all at once and he could say, we have left everything to follow you later in his life. Matthew 19, 27. Peter's a man of complete abandon and surrender. He gave everything to follow Jesus because Jesus was so worth it to him. The world is lost and it's hurting. And people are dying. They're going to hell without Jesus. But we can give not just a part of ourselves, but we can give full love as we follow Christ, sharing the good news and bringing people into relationship with him. Through the word, God calls us to do the same. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must come to church on Sundays. No. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So hard words. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, oh, they're going to find it. They'll find it like they never imagined they could find it. And so how do I get to my new job? Church, how do we get there? Leave everything behind and follow, just like the disciples. It's an absolutely terrifying prospect, isn't it? Leave it all and follow me. This past summer, I attended a concert at, uh, at Night Vision. And for King and Country was the, the main stage band that night. And it was a great concert, full of celebration, good lyrics that honored the Lord, full of energy, great, great time. There was a point in the concert where everything was paused and the lead singer came down and he began to tell a story of something that had happened in his family. The lead singer told how he has three children in his home and after his second child was born, his wife was experiencing some pain uh, following that in her postpartum and so she was, she was struggling with some things and she'd gone to the doctor and received a prescription. He'd given that to her and it worked for a little while for her. But then after a while that wore off and she went back and she got another prescription and she was taking that. And one day, the lead singer was out on tour, and uh, he gets a call from his wife, and, and she said, honey, you need to come home. And he said, okay, I'll be, I'll be home soon. And I don't know what he did to take care of things, but he got home, and he walked in the door. And his wife looked at him, and she had the pill bottle in her hand, and she said, I can't take these anymore. I can't take these anymore. So he took them from her, and he was encouraging her that night that they would get rid of them. And she said, no, let me just take one more until we can go get some help. Let me just take one more tonight. Well, they went and got help. He didn't let her take it, and they went and got help, and she went through some recovery. And as they got home, uh, they came together, and they had that bottle of pills, and they took it and were pouring it into the toilet to get rid of them. They were going to be gone. They would leave them behind, not leaving them in the cabinet just in case. He went on to tell the story about the explorer Cortez who sailed to Mexico in 1519. You might know this, this legend of Cortez as he brought his ships near the shore. The sailors had become very comfortable in their ships. They were, they, they, it was home, and they'd been on those confines of the ship for a long time, and the men didn't want to disembark from the ship. 
But Cortez knew that as long as the ships were in the rearview mirror as an option, the men wouldn't advance into the unknown. You can see where I'm going. Retreat is always easier when we have an option. So in the morning, he called all the men out onto the shore. Men, we're going to come. We're going to stand here. I'm going to tell you what we're up to and what we're going to be about. And he was pointing inland. And as they were about to disembark into the interior, he told his officers, burn the ships. Burn those ships. Retreat is no longer an option. What Cortez did was force himself and his men to either succeed or to die. And then they started to sing the song that you may know from the radio about burn the ships. And those words say, burn the ships, cut the ties, send a flare into the night, say a prayer, turn the tide, dry your tears and wave goodbye. Step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. We can dance upon our heartache. So let's light a match, leave the past, burn the ships, and don't look back. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of Peter and the disciples on that day, they must burn their boats and plunge into absolute insecurity in order to learn the demand and the gift of Christ. And it was right in that moment when the disciples left their nets on the shore that they were saying, we will not go back. They would rot. The the nets would rot. We're moving forward. And the question that we have to ask ourselves that we're confronted with, along with Peter and his friends, what are my ships? What from the old man have I been afraid to let go of? I can't answer that for you, but I can give you some areas to consider and to question. But what ships do I need to burn in my life? A job? A dream? A fantasy? A pill or a bottle? A person, and that can't be your spouse, but is there a person in your life that you need to, yeah, you laugh, but it's true, right? Money, comfort, success, a place. And make a statement of leaving the past and allowing Christ to define my future, where I'm headed. Living for a heavenly kingdom, not the earthly kingdom. Retreat is always easier when we have the option just holding on to it, mending it, taking care of it, cleaning it, just in case I might go back, just in case for retreat, a backup plan. Cortez was on a mission, and he knew that the only way to keep his men moving forward and himself from quitting on that mission was to take the option off the table and leave everything behind. I want to yell out, Peter, you don't know what you're wandering into. Hold on. We might say the same thing. We might even say, I can't deal with this. This is too much. It's too much for me to go into. It's too scary. It's too frightening for me to cut ties with that thing that I've been nursing along all these years as I've tried to walk with Christ. But Jesus confidently whispers to us, don't be afraid. Let go of those nets. Don't be afraid after all. It's me. And it's right there as we let go that we will find the grace of God meet us. And it's there that we'll begin to discover the riches and the treasures of Christ as we journey into that. So my friends, God has called you child of God. But you may be holding on from the old family, from the old man. Are you willing to let go? Do that now.
Father, you call us to let go, to move forward into an unknown, unseen future with you. And the only way we can do that is because we would trust you. So well up a trust within us, even in this moment, as people let go of things from the past that they need to be letting go of. God, whether we're sitting in this room or we're sitting on our couch listening to this, would you do that spiritual work in us, surrendering our hearts to you? May we confess our sin without fear, knowing that you'll meet us with grace. So Lord, we do that with confidence in you. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we head out of here today, you may want to come up and pray. I'd be glad to pray with you. But as you head out, would you turn to somebody right now and say, I'm glad you were here. And if you're on your couch, tell the person next to you, you're glad they're here. All right, say that to somebody. We'll see you back here next week. Stay in tune. We'll let you know what's going on over this next week.